Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Joe Corner. It is brought to you by Big Heads Media. It is going to be a great hockey season uh, coming right up. A lot of interesting things. Uh, Anchor.fm will help you uh, start your podcast and get things rolling. It's going to be a lot smoother when you uh, when you get the Anchor app, and it's so much easier to navigate. Even their online website at Anchor.fm is very efficient, and you can do a lot of great things with it. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Hey, Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Hey, sorry for the little bit of uh, difficulties a little bit earlier. It's all good. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, a long time ago, we were talking about having the grading of the Ray Shiro era along with the process. Jim and I talked about it on a recent podcast. Can yeah. you give us uh, a bit more of the Dells in the details type of uh, point of view from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, I think for, for looking at Ray Shiro's drafts and the prospects that have come out of them, it's a, it's a bit of a complicated topic just because, I mean, for one, we'll, st- we'll still need a bit of time to really evaluate some of the more recent draft picks. You look at like the 2019 draft, there's a lot of potential there, but it's only been a couple of months since it happened. But I think like, one of the, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's complicated for more reasons than that, obviously, because, um, you know, looking at the 2018 draft, Ty Smith almost made the team out of camp. And then I think you, along with a lot of us thought that this year he was basically a, a write-in for the roster and yet he's sent back to the WHL. So they're, there are certain players that I think we expected to, to grow quicker and they just have it. And, and that raises a question of, well, um, are, were those poor selections or are they just going to take a bit more time? And that's not even getting to, to players such as like Michael McLeod or even Pavel Zaka. Although I'm not sure Zaka really counts as a full Shiro pick that just well, developed to the extent that other players picked around the man. From what I was listening to with uh, Chico Resch on the Let's Go Devils podcast, he said that uh, Pavel Zaka was his final pick, basically, and Ray Shiro had the say in uh, getting Mackenzie Blackwood. He was one of his mm-hmm. favorites. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a bit of that slight transition from that last pick. Honestly, this 
2015 part makes me kind of think about 2020 a little bit because Fitzy, Tommy Fitzgerald's the interim GM, and then you don't know who's going to be your full-time GM by draft day. You want to have the right guy and the the right director of amateur scouting being uh, – it's not Castron this year. He's actually the boss of uh, Gates Orlando. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, you want to get that – I would call it hockey politics out of the way before the Devils have to make the pick. So as of today, Massasac said that the Devils currently have the third overall pick and they have the 14th uh, overall pick from Arizona. And he said that uh, Jack Quinn could be mm-hmm. a possible mm-hmm. New Jersey Devil and maybe Marco Rossi. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be an interesting pick. Both play for the Ottawa 67s, and I think the Devils have four prospects on the F67s currently, although I think three of them are going to end up graduating at the end of the year. So it would it would be an interesting move to, to kind of restock the cupboard in Ottawa to make sure that the Devils always have, you know, three or four prospects on that team. And so last – well, not necessarily just last night, but in the – just the recent Devils win in the shootout. Mm-hmm. Um, Erica Walker interviewed uh, four of those Ottawa 67s. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who are listening, uh, that'll be Mitchell Holsher, who was a six-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Graham Clark. He was a guy I actually liked in the last Cherry Ore tournament last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Kevin Ball and then uh, Nikita Ohotyuk. So, you got four guys, maybe five or six potentially. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you keep a really good eye on those kids in the CHL. Give us more depth on these players. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Joe. It, there's a really interesting mix of players currently in the OHL and um, and across the entire Canadian Hockey League as well um, in the double system. You mentioned a couple of them uh, that I can go over pretty quickly, but um, Mitchell Holscher who was a six-round pick, as you mentioned, in 2018, is a, kind of a really prototypical 200-foot player. Um, he, he's always put into some really tough defensive situations. Uh, he has pretty good skating. And uh, when, when I had the chance to talk to James Boyd, the general manager of the Ottawa 67s a couple weeks ago, he mentioned that Holscher has always been a player whose offense has developed as the season's gone on. So he's always had a bit of a cold start. He's always been defensively responsible, but the points – always build up closer to the end of the season than the beginning. And so this season, um, Boyd and the rest of the 67s crew really challenged Holscher to get going quickly. Um, And that became important for reasons that we'll get to later. But um, he's had just a fantastic year. He's on pace to double his point production from last season. And so he's added on this really intriguing offensive tool set to an already defensively responsible um, game that he plays. And so he's become a really complete player that, um, to my mind, uh, really speaks volumes of the potential to sign him to an entry-level contract this season. He's one of the only Devils prospects on the Ottawa 67s that doesn't have an entry-level contract. So I'd watch out to see um, see if they don't get him into Binghamton next season. So he, he's one to keep an eye on for sure. But uh, there's quite a few other uh, CHL prospects. If you just want to talk about the Ottawa 67s, you mentioned we- – Sorry, go ahead, we can Joe. start with the 67s yeah. and work our way from the 2015 to 2019, eventually 2020, yeah. and yeah. go through the uh, the pros and cons of those uh, draft classes. Yeah. So 
uh, right now, um, before we get to the 67 stuff, um, we talked about uh, this is the 2015 uh, class mm-hmm. that we're going to start off with. So we already started with Pavel Zach, and we get a bunch of these, uh, not just Devils fans, but also people who troll too much mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the whole Pavel Zaka thing. Like you could have gotten Provorov or Zach Varensky or mm-hmm. Timo Meyer or Rontanen uh, at those other five uh, selections. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't talked about the second round that much because uh, the Devils, let's see, they picked McKen- Mackenzie Blackwood in that spot. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, looks like, after that, it was Daniel Sprong and Philip uh, Hlapik. Mm-hmm. After that, mm-hmm. I mean, looks like a, just comparing and Oliver Killington and Jeremy Bracco, those are the two other, I mean, also including Vince Dunn, those other, and Ra- oh yeah, and Rasmus Sanderson and Jordan Greenway. Those are other guys that could have been taken mm-hmm. a little sooner. What yeah. would you think? going back five years ago yeah i mean at the time i I was really intrigued by the 2015 draft uh that was when i first started really getting into like the nitty-gritty of the draft of course everything's exciting when you get started right um in hindsight is a really complex topic because you know a six overall pick is a huge amount of draft capital to invest in one player and you know he's only gotten what maybe a hundred points in his first, you know, 200 plus um, career games. Like that's, that's not bad, but it's certainly not what you would expect from a, a six overall pick. Um, I think Zaka has a lot of good elements to his game. He also looks pretty lost for long stretches of the seasons that I've seen so far. So like, I know, I know we've talked about Zaka collectively as a fan base for, for a long time, but when it comes to like the second round and Mackenzie Blackwood, I, I'm actually really happy with that pick. And I was excited at the time because because Barry was a really interesting team. Blackwood was someone that jumped off the charts when it came to things like the physical testing at the draft combine. And he's he's turned out to be a really good player. Um, and I know goaltending has been, you know, a hot topic for the Devils this season. Um, but I actually wrote a, a pretty long article over the summer looking at the goaltending results last season. And basically came to the conclusion that Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Schneider down the stretch were actually like pretty good. And I was, I was pretty comfortable going into this season with both of them and not making a move in, in that. And that was mostly because of the potential of Blackwood. Um, so I, you know, talking with some of these other players that were drafted around Blackwood, you know, you mentioned Jeremy Bracco, um, you know, that's, a, that's a really interesting offensive prospect in the AHL, but, Bracco hasn't played a single NHL game. So when I look at the fact that like Blackwood has been our starter and has been really good in stretches of both of these uh, last two seasons, I'm pretty happy with that. It's, it's when you start to look at the rest of the draft, specifically in 2015, where you go, you know, like we, we took some swings. I was a big fan of Blake Spears, who was taken in the third round. I actually thought he was going to make the team yeah. that one year. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. I, I really did think, that at 18 and a half, 19 years old, when he was proving himself in that preseason, I really thought he was going to make it, but he got sent back to uh, the Sioux Greyhounds. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a big shock for, for everyone. And that was kind of the first taste we got of a, 
kind of a depth prospect, really testing the waters. And and that really paid off the following season with Jesper Bratt. But Blake Spears was that that guy that you thought, like, there wasn't anything spectacular about any one part of his game. He's one of those really classic devil's draft picks that is pretty good at everything. And you feel like would be molded into a whatever type of player they want. And, and he had that potential to make the team basically out of camp that year. Um, and then since then really hasn't done much of anything, even at the AHL level. Um, he was sent over in the Taylor Hall trade um, and has been playing for the Tucson Roadrunners. But as, as that someone got who, us, and that got us Merkley and Schnarr and, and Kevin, Kevin Ball. Ball in that, that trade. So yeah. it's not really a big loss or a bust. No. But if uh, the if the drafting was a little bit better, mm. uh, if you could turn back the quarter in the time machine, I think you would have picked Anthony Sorelli at that point because mm-hmm. uh, it, he fell down to the lightning. Uh, let's see five spots later mm-hmm. because that's where he ended up going was to Tampa Bay. And I guess the devil scouting at that point uh, really didn't take too much consideration in Sorelli. So yeah. yeah I mean, I Sorelli believe- had like a really good team. I mean, the, the Sioux Greyhounds were, were a good team as well. I, I'm not sure that that's the big question, right? When you, when you look at drafts in hindsight is, the way prospects actually turned out doesn't necessarily reflect how good the pick was at the time. I mean, it does to a certain extent, because at the end of the day, you just need good players. But I still think Blake Spears was a, a decent bet. Like, obviously, it's the player Sorelli has turned into now at the NHL level is, you know, far above what Blake Spears has done, even at the AHL level. Um, but the, there, are still, there are still good parts to that pick, even though the results didn't follow. And it, and it kind of like put us into our projection later for uh, the Taylor Hall trade, the, which got us a really good player, Kevin Ball, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which we all see the upside for him right now, as we saw for Team Canada winning that gold. How about that? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Spears was, in all honesty, probably just a throw in to even out the contract numbers a bit, because when you take three players on entry level contracts back the other way, even though the Devils are in a pretty good spot contract-wise, um, that that was probably what that was, right? Just adding another contract to make sure that you still have some flexibility for the deadline. Um, the rest of the 2015 draft, I thought was good. Like Colton White is a decent prospect. Um, you know, he even has the potential to see a couple NHL games down the stretch, depending on what happens at the deadline. And Brett Zini is a really, really good AHL player. Um, and he, he's been pretty effective in the NHL, when he's been up here, he's, he stirs the pot of it. He plays pretty physical, despite the fact that he's pretty small. Um, he, he still has the potential to make the NHL, even if it's been, you know, a couple of years since he was drafted. I, I still really believe that Sini has the possibility of, of being something. Um, I, is whether or not that's, you know, in a middle six role or not. A lot of people, Devils fan-wise, they will bang a guy like Sini because he's like – not fully built and Mm -hmm. they don't see the upside. Like I see he can be more of a two way disruptive player, fast, gritty. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can do just about everything. Um, I think he will succeed Mm -hmm. at the NHL level. I think he will do a great job on the third line, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't see him as like a 
as a fourth liner because I see him adding skill and depth and uh, a, a little bit of a two-way threat. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at round five, though, um, I don't think the Devils had a pick in uh, round five, but Ethan Bear got picked at the 124th overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to think of uh, a couple of names that came out of that uh, that draft, that round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, tro- and Troy Terry really, uh, of the Ducks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ethan Bear in particular is, is a really interesting name. 2015 is the end of that really dry period at the end of the, the Lamorello era where the Devils didn't really have a ton to sell off, but they also didn't really have a ton of draft picks. So there was definitely quite a bit of missed opportunity there for sure. And then we were just talking about Brett Cini and let's see, just checking the sixth round. And it seems like Andrew Mangiapane of the Calgary Flames was one of those other players you could have gone or Mason Appleton. And I saw him opening night uh, versus the Devils. So uh, he did show some potential in Appleton. Uh, but I do, like I said, I do like Cini. I just think, uh, some players have a bit more longer uh, potential curves than some other players. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to predict between the scouting and, you know, just watching it on TV or in person, depending what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one thing I'd, I'd say just to wrap up on Sini is I'm not sure his game is necessarily suited to a fourth line role. I know you mentioned like seeing him maybe in a third line. To my eyes, if he isn't, if he doesn't make the NHL, you know, in the next year and a half in like a middle six role, I'm not necessarily sure he's going to do it unless it's with a different team. You know, like I look at the Devils' top six moving forward, there might be a couple spots open depending on, you know, how the lines shake out and, and where Zajac ends up and what his future looks like. But Sini is a guy that probably needs to have some offensive opportunities and to play, and to play with some players that can actually finish that makes his development a bit more complicated because I don't think he's the, the sort of player who would be totally well-suited on the fourth line, if you catch my meaning. Like, he he needs someone with him to, to finish the chances that he creates or to, to get the puck to the net where he can clean it up, you know, in that net front area. So he's, to, to my eye, Sini's the kind of player that needs to make the jump and to get a good opportunity to stick. Otherwise, you know, he's going to be a really good AHL player for the next couple of years. And maybe we won't, you know, remember him in five years. time. Or, or we could use him in one of those uh, trade deadline deals to sweeten up a deal. So could be. who knows mm-hmm. if uh, Tommy Fitzgerald is doing something very productive with Sini uh, because there, there's a lot of really good skilled players in uh, Binghamton right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they won 11 out of 13 games last I checked. Yeah. And Sharon Govich looked pretty good, yeah. uh, especially taunting that uh, goaltender pointing at him. That's um, right, after the shootout. <laughs> yeah. uh, 2016 draft, we're just going to start with uh, – sure. we're going to start off right at um, the number 12th pick, which before that was the 11th pick. Mm-hmm. And it, that became Logan Brown for the Senators. Mm-hmm. And Shiro eventually picked Michael McLeod. That's right. Uh, it seems like McLeod at this point is showing signs of promise to mm-hmm. be a really good uh, mid second and third, maybe 
third line of highest because you have Hughes and Heischer mm-hmm. uh, on this team. So he's a he seems to play both center and wing just fine, mm-hmm. uh, getting in the nitty gritty areas mm-hmm. um, where he doesn't have to be fully responsible like the other top two centers that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like McLeod, um, and, and my opinion on him kind of swings back and forth. And he's someone I've I've watched quite a bit, mostly because I grew up and and currently live in the Mississauga area, which is where he played junior. So I got to see him live, you know, quite a bit. And and when I when I looked at McLeod over the summer after another year where his offense at the AHL level didn't really take off. I kind of set these different criteria for what I wanted to see from him to see if like, Oh, is he still growing or is the McLeod we see now the McLeod we're going to see in two years? Like, is he, is he stagnated or is he growing? And for me, you know, I saw the offensive force that he was in, in juniors where he was playing on a really good Mississauga team, but he was the core of that team. He was a, a big, fast defensively responsible, but still offensively gifted center. And so when I consider like McLeod's development, I'm still looking for that offense. And so McLeod's production so far in the AHL has been basically the same as it was last year. So he's mostly collecting assists. He's driving play, but he isn't necessarily scoring. And so, so he, he's obviously becoming more of a playmaker yeah. and started change up his game a little bit more just to adjust to the AHL and NHL level. Don't you think he's starting to adapt his game a little bit more? Yeah. And that that's basically what I'm thinking. Like I, I was expecting him to focus more on that offense. And I, I thought that's what the organization, the devils would have wanted for him, but I'm getting the sense that that's not necessarily the case that they're focusing on his physical play, defensive acumen, and they're telling him, like, you need to be the responsible person on the ice. You need to be the responsible center. Use your speed and physicality and make plays, but make sure you're the first person back. And I think that's that's basically what we're seeing at the AHL. Um, he's been, a, he's been a, a good player for Binghamton, even if he isn't, you know, on the top five scoring for the team. Instead, he's been that kind of prototypical foot. That's still top six, but, but really – defensive minded I guess and and to me that that was a bit of a disappointment for my own expectations but for the Devils maybe that's that's where they see his strength moving forward so I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a couple more NHL games to end up the season because he did play really well in his really short stint um so I I just think he's being molded into more of a a two-way guy whereas when he was drafted he certainly had that element to his game but I expected the offense to come as well. And that just hasn't happened. I like that team first mentality that uh, Mark Dennehy, the coach of the Binghamton Devils is installing in the the players and Mm -hmm. it's starting to really show uh, results wise. Mm -hmm. We see, like I said, about those 11 to 13 wins that goes to show that um, the, the farm system is starting to turn a tide Mm -hmm. and showing uh, Devils fans uh, a lot of hope mm-hmm. uh, for the near term because you want to see progress uh, coming from the bottom up. So it mm-hmm. it really does seem like McLeod is starting to gel. Mm-hmm. And also we got to talk about his line mate uh, buddy from Mississauga in uh, Nathan Bastion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you said you were at some of those games or most of those games mm-hmm. or however you attended uh, those games. Give – 
our listeners a scouting report of Nathan Bastion. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Bastion is the kind of player that fans love. Like, he doesn't necessarily put up a ton of points, but he's very physical. He'll park himself in front of the net on the power play and bang and rebounds. Like, he's he's a prototypical power forward. That's the best way I can put it. It's, it's nice and simple. So, pictureless in the OHL, you have Michael McLeod, who is who was pretty big, like six foot at the time, pretty physical, who was by far the one of the best skaters in the entire CHL, who can just skate circles around the opposition. And you have Nathan Bastion causing havoc in front of the net. And the two of them did their thing extremely well. Um, Bastion, once he translated, like once he graduated to the pros, and he did that a year before Michael McLeod, just because of his birthday, um, kind of slowed down a bit. So Bastion is a, is a pretty big guy himself. Um, and you're able to use your physicality a lot more in the OHL because you're, you're going up against smaller players. Whereas once you get to the AHL, you know, you're going up against adults who have been in professional hockey potentially for like 10 or 15 years. So all of a sudden the big guy on the block isn't quite so big anymore. So he's taken a bit of time to adjust. My, my biggest gripe with Bastion is that he doesn't necessarily drive play on his own. He seems to require um, lots of ice time with players who are able to do that for him. So I, I know he was a fan favorite when he spent some, some small time in the NHL last season. But to my eye, he isn't necessarily there yet. You know, like when I think about the guys who would deserve a call up to the NHL, he's probably lower on my list than maybe some other fans. I, I'd say there were, you know, as many as potentially four or five forwards that would get the call before Bastion, but he still has, has some potential. Um, I, I've been encouraged by his play a bit more this season, but to be honest, I, I'm not necessarily as excited about Bastion as I am for McLeod. And, and that might be, that might go against the grain of, of what some other Devils fans think, but that's, that's kind of where I land at the moment. I was going to say like, um, I believe Nathan Bastion, if he were to climb up my call up list, mm-hmm. One of the things he needs to do for me is he needs to be a little bit more like Brian Boyle, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. use that big body, screen the goaltender more, mm-hmm. uh, don't take bad penalties, take a more productive penalty and, you know, getting a guy to trip you when you're making the play. Mm-hmm. You got to have the puck a little bit more, uh, but learning to be more of a two-way center winger can really benefit at the next level. Yeah. and we can move on to the next guy who's probably a little bit higher yeah, on our list. That's right. That's right. In, in, in uh, Minnesota Duluth boy, uh, Joey Anderson, who's uh, whose brother is also a LA Kings prospect. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Joey Anderson is, is a real treat to watch. And uh, he, he's always been one of those players that just fits in wherever he goes. You mentioned, you know, coming out of the university of Minnesota Duluth, um, he was, you know, the captain for the United States team at the World Juniors a couple of years ago, uh, playing on the top line, not necessarily as like the guy, but as a complimentary player, Joey Anderson is fantastic. And he's really developed outside of that identity a bit more this season. He's turned into more of a play driving, um, even though he's still res- defensively responsible player. Um, he was selected as the replacement for the AHL All-Star game as uh, the Binghamton Devils representative after Ben Street was called up. Um, ben Street is like a, a 
very successful AHL veteran who also had his had a child uh, just before the AHL All-Star game. So Anderson went in his stead and was absolutely probably the best player at the AHL All-Star game. Um, he, he's the sort of player that that really is constantly working. Like you think about a, a guy like Blake Coleman, who has a really great motor, uh, really great instincts, and is constantly moving his feet. Joey Anderson reminds me a bit about that. Like he, he has that same mentality. He has that meat and potatoes type yeah. style, as yeah. I refer to uh, players like him of that sort of ilk. Mm-hmm. Um, his coach being Scott Sandlin uh, didn't have quite the result for the Team USA mm-hmm. uh, 2020 uh, result which was falling short because the players obviously didn't get through their thick skulls as Larry Robinson would say. Mm -hmm. So um, I do, I do like that, that possible coach as a possible devil's head coaching Mm -hmm. candidate. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if uh, Fitzy is going to go all the way that far into the NCAA D one to get a new coach from there and go down that wishing well. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I did like seeing Joey Anderson uh, when he was up and healthy. He looked very productive, but injury has been a little bit of a concern, but he's a young guy still. Yeah, he's young. He's, he's still got time. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's the next person to be called up. Like we, we saw McLeod up earlier in the season. He did really well. Um, we saw Ben Street up for a bit and the organization is treating him really well as he deals with uh, the birth of his child. Anderson should probably be next on the list. He, he's he's been that successful he's added on a nice finishing touch on top of his other elements of his game he, he's he's ready to get a taste and i want to move on to uh the next guy from that draft is brendan Gignac. yeah so i've noticed him to be a little bit more speedy uh smaller version than taylor hall mm-hmm. uh, on the wing um, he seems to be clicking just fine in Binghamton. Mm-hmm. Can you give a more in-depth uh, look on Brendan Zinyak? Yeah, Zinyak is, is an interesting player. He was actually part of that, that trade back when the Devils went from 11 to 12 to get McLeod. They also got a third-round pick. They used that to select Brendan Zinyak. Um, skating, as you mentioned, has always been probably his biggest strength. He was just basically flawless as he skated uh, in juniors in the QMJHL. Um, unfortunately, he's suffered a couple of knee injuries since then. So it, it's taken him some some substantial time to get back to form. Um, this season, he's been a bit rusty, if, I, if I've been honest. Um, but he, he still has some potential. It, it's just the unfortunate fact that the, the thing that was probably his greatest strength He's, he's been dealing with injuries specifically to that. So um, I, I don't have a ton to say other than that. He, he's still, you know, he's still only 22 years old. He, he has some potential. We've seen him make some really great plays at the AHL level. There are just some questions about whether or not he's still got enough in the tank to, to actually make the jump. Because similar to um, some of the other players we've been talking about, his skill set as kind of a pass-first creative playmaker suggests that if he doesn't make you know the middle six I don't think he'd really do well in a fourth line role he's another one of those players that really needs to make the jump into a a spot where he has the opportunity to play with players who can finish the plays that he makes if not then he's he's probably not going to stick 
So he, he still has some potential, but there are definitely some question marks there. I was going to say I have question marks for Zinyak at number 80 currently because he's still very young, yet we don't know the future for him. Uh, by the way, this is the first full Shiro Castron draft class. That's right. Like, right. So for Dallas fans keeping score at home, uh, yeah, 2016 through 2019 is that whole Shiro Castron era mm-hmm. as – the whole uh, GM and uh, director of amateur scouting. So mm-hmm. next pick at 102 is Mikhail Maltsev, the Russian power forward uh, from the KHL. If I believe it's uh, his old club, let me check. It is SK uh, St. Petersburg. That's right. So he did play with Ilya Kovalchuk and uh, Nikita Gusev, if that's, I recall correctly. That's right. Yeah, very limited playing time, but he he was there. Yeah, and, I, and, I like Maltsev a lot, and I know I know I know Devils fans are very excited for him, partly because of that insane goal he scored in the preseason versus the Rangers. Versus the Rangers, that that tends to help. But also, we've seen him pull off the Forsberg move in the shootout for Binghamton at least two times this season. Like, he does it extremely well. Maltsev is a really interesting player because he's, he's fairly big. Like, he, he weighs, like, 220 pounds. Um, he's very... He's a, Ru- he's a Russian tank. That's right. The only thing I'd, I'd say in, in order to advise a bit of caution is that he has these incredible tools. Like, we've seen him. His, his skating's pretty good. His hands are incredible when he's in close. He just doesn't always know what to do with them. So he, he does have the tool set for sure. We've seen him make these incredible individual plays. But at the same time, he's also only scored 11 points this season. Um, and, and I've actually been covering him for the All About the Jersey panel where we, we've covered the AHL prospects. He's, he's one of the guys I focus on. And he's, he's a really exciting prospect that's also very frustrating at times because he's so raw because he comes out of the KHL system where he didn't have a ton of playing time. He's adjusting to North American ice. And then he pulls off the Forsberg multiple times in one season. So he, he's, he's got potential for sure. He's not as young as we think he is. He's, he's 21 years old. Um, so he, he's in this kind of awkward middle phase where phase. He's, he's still growing into his skills. It's, it seems like he's starting to adjust a little bit better mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. North American ice. Um, for me, it's, it's a great thing to see those type of highlights uh, in that short amount of time where most guys coming from anywhere on wider, longer European rinks, it seems like he's started to settle in just fine. Mm-hmm. I just think the getting the full season of uh, simulations uh, will help him remember different situations going into the next season and maybe the rest of the season going forward. I think his potential is pretty high for, mm-hmm. for me, especially if uh, Wayne Simmons does get moved. And I think he's one of the first maybe five, ten guys to be called up on my list. Yeah, I, th- I think he'd probably be closer to, to, to ten than five on my list, just, just because he's so new, right? Like there, there are other players that have been around the system a bit longer, that that seem to to be more consistent, 
But at the same time, he absolutely has the potential to be, you know, a top nine player in the NHL. It's just a question of whether or not that's in, you know, one year, two year, three years, even um, he might take a bit of time. And, and I think that's fine. Um, he's he's going to really benefit from the, the graduation that we're hoping to see from Binghamton in the next few years, because he's going to take a bigger role and then he's going to hopefully make the jump. And at 105, they listed Evan Cormier at goaltending. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I, at first I thought it was Eric Comrie <laughs> for a minute, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I haven't heard his name in a while. So yeah. Yeah. He's, he's followed an interesting path. Um, the devils actually didn't, give him a contract after um after the first few years of after um after he was drafted so we ended up actually in the town i used to live in in guelph uh, playing for university which is a very you know non-standard development path um but uh, after the binghamton devils had a bit of trouble on net and he actually was performing fairly well in the canadian university system they signed him um, and he's he's stuck since then. So he's he split his time between the AHL and the ECHL for the past two years. Um, he's been a, a decent goaltender for Binghamton. I I don't know if I'd go farther than that. Um, Gilles Sen, uh, the Swiss the Swiss prospect, has probably been the better goaltender between the two. Um, I like the cur- I like the potential curve on Gilles Sen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked what he did at the international tournaments. Mm-hmm. I just think he looked a little bit. Uh, frustrated, a little bit lost when he got called up in the middle of the switch over from Hines to Nazardine mm-hmm. to that defensive structure, which barely exists, or <laughs> I should say is inexistent. Yeah. Uh, so for, for a guy like Sen, you know, we'll talk more about him later. Um, Igor Rikov was obviously in that one for one, if I recall correctly for, uh, Michael Grabner, as uh, as our buddy will put it, Grabner does have bye-bye speed. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I think there might have been a draft pick in there, too, but basically one for one. Yorga Roykov was a fantastic pick at the time. Um, played really strongly for a fifth rounder, has developed since then. He's a legitimate prospect, um, even if he's going to take a bit more time to adjust to North American ice. He'll, he'll play in the NHL. For sure. It just sucks and, that it's going to be for the Rangers. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that was the first time I was ever like WTF moment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, um, I was actually back on the train that day. No, not day night because the Devils had lost to, I think, the Canadians or someone. No, the Canadian the Canadian scout was in the building uh, talking to Shiro, trying to get a trade for uh, – for recall. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, it, the next one is our, our Swedish superstar, Jesper Bratt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be the hugest steal outside of any of these players. Uh, he's seems like a winger that can definitely stay on the doubles going forward. Or if someone's really interested in him on wing, mm-hmm. He could be in a in a possible deal, but it seems like he's a mainstay going forward. Yeah, like he's he's one of the the best draft picks the Devils have had in in quite a long time. Like a a six round pick um, that that plays in the NHL, you know, almost immediately 
is is almost unheard of. Um, he he definitely had a really hot start to his career. I remember those first few weeks of that season pretty vividly, and and I was just like, who is this kid? I know I know Ian, uh, my co-host on the Devils in the Details podcast, was bigger than him at the time, but I didn't really understand the extent to which his particular play style would succeed in the NHL. Like the the one thing that amazes me is his his skating and his stance. It's not necessarily the fastest skating, but the way he protects the puck, especially along the boards uh, to work the cycle down low is just incredible. It's probably um, his biggest strength. And he, he's been better lately, but I mean, it, it's hard to evaluate any of the current devils in the NHL because the team is just so bad, right? But it, he definitely it, has it, the potential it, it, to be a long-term devil. It's kind of like hard to single out each player individually mm-hmm. because, you know, the overall structure has just been downright watered down. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I saw Jesper Bratt in his, uh, in his first two seasons, he always looked very solid, fast, smart. He always had that little counter spin move mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he showed Bryce Salvador before on Madison Square Garden Networks uh, a few seasons back. And it seems like he's starting to um, round out that top three of four lines, mm-hmm. regardless of how um, deep the team is at times. It seems he can play second or third line wing any given night. And I've seen him before, um, not during Marty Marty's retirement number night, but mm-hmm. it was a Marty tribute night a few years ago against the Penguins. And uh, apparently one of the, calls uh was like offside but brat did have this like really good like breakaway speed mm-hmm. and the stick handling just going uh like backhanded goal just was beautiful mm-hmm. yeah he's got some great shootout moves as well um not that we've seen him really be used in that context all that much anymore just because we have like the jack hughes and nikita gusevs but um (laughs) he's he's another player that has those really great one-on-one skills um he he's someone i'd love to see get going because we've seen he and palmieri and and gusev really heat up lately um brat is another player that that i'm hoping finds a second gear to finish out the year just to make things a bit more watchable and I like the fact that him and Nico both added over three pounds worth of weight or 6.6 kilograms Mm -hmm. for our uh, audience outside the U S using the metric system. Uh, So they added a lot of that muscle in the off season, which I saw a lot of difference in the first few games and preseason games. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very confident in that going forward. Mm Now, now, on the last player in the 2016 draft, the Devils selected was Jeremy Davies. He was in that PK Subban deal. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's that's a big bonus. I see PK starting to turn on the switch now that um, John Hines is not on the coaching staff anymore, and he seems to be benefiting from Nazardine lately, mm-hmm. especially against the Islanders. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked Jeremy Davies. I think that was a slam dunk pick. And he's one of the kind of prototypical examples of why drafting in the late rounds actually matters. Um, you know, him along with like Jesper Broad um, really developed a ton of value after the draft. Um, Jeremy Davies in particular was a, was a great kind of mobile puck moving defenseman um, that had a really great career at Northeastern. 
playing playing in the college system in the states and like even though he's never going to be a devil um, the fact that he was one of the main pieces in what I thought was a great trade at the time the PK Subban deal uh, where the devils didn't really take any players off of their immediate roster um, depending on your opinion on Steve Santini um, he was probably one of the biggest pieces going back to Nashville there was the draft picks and Jeremy Davies and Santini I find more of a depth piece I find the Santini part a little bit flawed. I'll explain why. So we all know how uh, Peter DeBoer used to do similar things with uh, other players like Adam Larson and like bench of rookie and, you know, have them be scratched or this and that. Well, it seemed like the way that uh, John Hines did that to – Santini was to not play him that much or at all. And it just seemed to screw up his learning curve. Mm -hmm. And I just felt the uh, environment for him uh, was a little bit more negative for him to get going. And I guess Ray Shiro had to move him because I guess we can all assume, you know, agents obviously say, Hey, my client's not getting the best out of this situation here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you also hear back from your buddy and David Poyle in Nashville and who know, who knows how long Nashville will have Poyle for. And you obviously get what you believe is possibly one of the best defensemen in, uh, the NHL in uh, in scoring goals from the, from the low danger points. Mm-hmm. So I do see PK starting to click and I do think. Santini will fare just fine mm-hmm. um, in the Nashville system, especially playing under John. I think he'll do fine under John Hines in Nashville, but I think David Poyle might have a talk with <laughs> he Hines might, about he him. Might he might have to. For sure. Be- because he obviously requested him in a trade. Mm-hmm. So that that's where I stand on that. Cool. It's just it's it, that's the only conflict of uh, of thought mm-hmm. on Santini. Other than that, I'm pretty positive about him as a player. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that's a that's a fair take for sure. Uh, Nico Heischer, we obviously know and love this player right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, would he's would you still take him first overall? I'd still take him first overall, although. My co-host, we have a source uh, who works with them on the inside, mm-hmm. them being the Devils. Yep. Uh, he he said that because of uh, Patrick's uh, history and of injuries, mm-hmm. that was a big red flag. Mm-hmm. And I could see that. You know, I was reading about all those injuries. And I was like, I'm not so sure. Uh, I just also thought about the personality. Um, of Nico reminds me a lot of Patrick Eliash. Mm-hmm. Um, he just seems like a Swiss version of Patrick, a little bit more open, I would say sometimes reserved, but he can like his play style is really a modern day two way player. Like he learned that from Datsyuk as a kid mm-hmm. in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly would take him still because centers are hard to come by and defensemen are a little bit trickier. Mm-hmm. That being said, 
Um, if I had an extra pick, I would also get Kale McCarr. Yeah, Kale McCarr is is amazing. To be honest, Nico would still be my pick as well. And I, I know non Devils fans that hear that might groan and and think about you know the Elias Pettersons of the world, Kale McCarr's, your Miro Heiskanen. Nico does so much for this team. He's a complete player. He's really turned it on since Taylor Hall left. Um, he's absolutely, you know, a future cornerstone of this team. So I, I think that was a slam dunk pick. Um, even though some of the players that have come after him um, are showing really great signs of success as well. I believe the way he is as I, I see him as, as the New Jersey Devils captain long-term kind of like, the Yankees had with Derek Jeter mm-hmm. as their captain going forward. I could see Nico being that guy in the playoffs where he he's not the most verbal guy, yeah. but he leads by example and he executes Yeah, and he will say something. Yeah. I, I see him as, as being great captain material for sure. As, as far as, you know, I understand any of that stuff, which is, which isn't that well, um, but he definitely does seem like a, an excellent choice. Uh, Jesper Bofus, uh, I've been pretty high on him. Um, I said over the summer when I was with Pucks and Pitchforks that I see Jesper Bofus, uh on the team. Yeah. And the one thing I was not very happy about with John Hines, once again, was the lack of playing him and – the lack of minutes he was getting as my co-host Jim Berger pointed out multiple times, you should not be giving him fourth or third line minutes. You should be giving him top six minutes. And I have to agree with my co-host on that. I'm sure that you might see similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm definitely a huge Bokfus fan. Um, I know some fans have been disappointed in his production and, and usage, as you pointed out so far this season, he falls into this really interesting category where, you know, just like you, I was writing about Bokefist over the summer as well and trying to get a sense of like, is there actually room for him on this team? Because, you know, you looked at the Devils top six or top nine moving forward. It was really easy to build a roster that didn't include him. Like you could have, you know, Hall, Hishier and Brat on the first line. You could slot in Gusev and Hughes and Palmieri. Then you get the Zakas, Ajax, and the Coleman's, and then you have fourth liners because Bokefist does not really suit a fourth line role. That's a pretty good lineup that doesn't leave room for him, um, and and so he he definitely had the potential to to come over and be an impact player. But the Devils also had a pretty crowded top six and top nine, and so exactly what I was worried about kind of happened, where Bokefist was either sitting or he was playing in the bottom six, and that just doesn't work. And there was the added wrinkle yeah. of the fact that his contract, and we learned this recently until December, prevented him from being sent to the AHL. He had that out clause to go back to Sweden. And so I, I give him credit for sticking around uh, and really proving that he wanted to be here. But now we're at the point where the Devils have sent him down and he's getting top line minutes in Binghamton. And to be honest, I don't think that's a bad thing because if – if the double season I lost think, and and he's only going to slot into the bottom six. I honestly think yeah. that's a great situation for him and his learning of uh, the North American ice. Mm-hmm. And just to get used to playing with guys who have either played in the NHL or haven't, or some guys are getting seasoned to be 
uh, NHL players, mm-hmm. and it's a good starting point for him to – well, I wouldn't say starting, but I would say a restart. You know, you hit the refresh button, and he gets readjusted or recalibrated, yeah. and he starts to play those top six minutes, and he gets used to the North American ice and gets used to that speed, yeah. um, which I believe is very important and very detrimental um, in his development. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good player. He has tons of potential. He's only 21 years old. Um, he, he, give him time. He'll, I think he'll surprise people even as soon as next season. Also, uh, another Swedish player uh, forward that was picked at 63rd, mm-hmm. uh, Fabian Zetterlund. From what I learned about Zetterlund is he's not your prototypical Swedish or European <laughs> player. Mm-hmm. He's more of a tall, physical, gritty guy with a North American game. Seems like he could play that Wayne Simmons role, that modern-day Wayne Simmons uh Brian Boyle type role. Do you think he has a higher ceiling than those two former Devils veterans as a young guy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he definitely has, you know, despite his production uh, over in Sweden being somewhat limited, he, he definitely does have a ton of potential. He's, he's kind of a grit and sandpaper guy. I remember the first year he came to development camp and we started to see some behind the scenes video and, and photos. You, you saw this guy with really blonde hair with just these massive muscles. And he went like, who is that guy? Like, I, I want to know who that is. <laughs> and he, he plays like that too. Um, he, he's, he's definitely, yeah, like a very physical, can be pretty punishing kind of guy. He, he's still figuring out the North American game. This is his first year as a pro in Binghamton. But he, he definitely has the potential to be, um, yeah, like as good as Simmons was in his prime. I'd say a lot of he's he's got a ways to go to get there because Simmons was quite good, um, but he has that in him for sure. He he seems to be like part of that future crash line. Yeah, where yeah. you could play physical and gritty, and you can score, or you can you know tire out the opposing defenses, frustrate the goaltender, and then set up the next you know scoring line, and you can wear down the defense that way mm-hmm. and eventually push a, a better role to the playoffs. And um, we talked about offense a lot on this segment and there's a kid on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, my step nephew, uh, Joey Bouchard uh, played against Riley Walsh mm-hmm. uh, for Tilton and Riley Walsh played against him in that level. Uh, and he's, told me out of five, five being the highest, uh, he rated Riley Walsh a three out of a five. So uh, it goes to show how good he is yeah. in that uh, that range. And he said that the Devils got a good uh, defenseman in that draft. Do you, what do you think of Riley Walsh? Yeah, Walsh is, Walsh is a really good player. His development's been a bit frustrating at times. And, and I can explain that kind of as the following, like, he plays for Harvard, but he's never been like the guy for a pretty good Harvard team. Um, for the last couple of years, he was stuck behind Adam Fox, uh, a Rangers draft pick or a Rangers prospect now. Um, so he, he never really got the top pairing minutes, although he did perform well on the power play. This year, now that Adam Fox has graduated, he's still 
playing mostly on the second pairing. There's an undrafted um, right-hand defenseman called uh, Riley Seaton who's playing above him, but Walsh is getting the majority of the power play minutes. Um, so there's always been kind of – he's never checked every box in, in a year since he was drafted, even though he's a, he's a, a great defensive prospect. He's, he's an offensive first uh, power play quarterback, creatively playmaking defenseman. His, his defensive play itself isn't all that great. You tend to see that with players that young, um, but he definitely has the potential to put up points. He's in his junior year at Harvard, and I'd be surprised if the Devils didn't put on a ton of pressure to sign him, um, just because if he goes back for senior year, then you always run the risk that uh, come July or August, uh, he's signing with a different team. It's a, you mean pulling off a Will Butcher? A Will Butcher, Alex Kerfoot, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think I was, he will sign, but the, the only question for me is now that the doubles have drafted and traded pretty heavily for defensive prospects, you know, with you know Nikita Okachuk's, um, Kevin Balls, even Daniel Masul out of Russia, the, the position is a bit more crowded than it was when he was drafted. This raises a neck, one of my next few ideas and things on Walsh is that. Do you see that with guys like Connor Carrick and uh, P.K. Subban, you have Carrick's up mm-hmm. within the next July 1st and P.K.'s up in a few more seasons. Yeah. Uh, do you see Riley Walsh and other players in between uh, competing for not only that spot, but trying to learn how to uh, eventually graduate to being on that right-handed defense court uh, for sure. one, two, three, and that seventh spot. Yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely going to have to earn time. But we saw the doubles, I mean, albeit with a different head coach and GM at this point, um, be pretty patient with a guy like Will Butcher, um, shelter him, give him all the power play time he wants. And he succeeded pretty well in his rookie season. It's been more complicated since then. Riley Walsh is absolutely a guy that, in, you know, in two or three years' time could be getting a similar treatment. I don't think he's the kind of player that could walk onto the NHL team next season. Um, but, but giving him a legitimate shot might be a requirement of actually signing him out of, out of college. So I, I think, you know, if he does sign, it's going to be a year or two in Binghamton before we see him, you know, for any extended period of time. But he definitely has the offensive talent uh, to still make an impact, potentially as, you know, like a, I would say at most like a a fourth defenseman that gets mm. minutes. I was gonna say when we move on to this next guy, uh in Nikita Papagaya. Yeah. So he was with uh correct me if I'm wrong, he was with uh, what was it? Moose Jaw. That's right. Yeah. And he was doing very well there before the trade. Yeah. And then he got sent over to the to the Cougars mm-hmm. and it seemed like after that trade, he just, like, I think he might have lost his skating because I heard he has a lot of offensive upside. He's got a long reach. Mm-hmm. He's got a good amount of speed. Mm-hmm. But he also went back to Russia for a little bit, and then he came back. Yeah. And the Devils uh, basically came in and rescued him last season. Uh do you think with him in the ECHL and probably going back to the AHL, do you think, you know, he needs more of that 
um, learning lesson curve from uh, Sergey Breland mm-hmm. uh, up in uh, the AHL. Yeah, he needs he needs some time. Like you mentioned, he hasn't had a consistent year since he was drafted. So even in his draft year, you mentioned he was traded from one WHL team to another. And it was a really strange trade because, um, you know, the team he, w- he had been playing on, the Moose Jaw Warriors, was a really good team. And he was scoring at like, you know, half a goal per game. And, and it raises questions like, why does a good team trade away a goal scorer? Um, and since then, he's been bounced around. It's only been recently that he's had any sort of consistency. Um, he's been bouncing around between the ECHL and the AHL this year. Um, he's someone that I thought was a really interesting prospect. Um, you mentioned his reach. He, he's massive and he has like a really big wingspan. At, at times, the way he handles the puck reminds me of like Ilya Kovalchuk and, and not necessarily in terms of talent, just the way he relates physically to the puck. It's like, wow, like I, I see something there, but he's just frustratingly inconsistent. He's, he's got a so lot he's, of to do. He's got a lot of work to do. He's one of those what you call a project. For sure. He's about as project as it gets at this point. And you and you would hope that you get a David Posternock type player at, at the end that you're hoping for if you get the lucky ending. Uh, for sure. So we're going to move westward from Russia to Switzerland. Yep. And we just talked about this goaltender before in Jill Sen. Yep. He played for HC Davos. I remember in his last season uh, that he was playing with – uh, with HC Davos, that the defense was very lackluster, just like how our team has been mm-hmm. uh, to kind of correlate it together. Uh, it seems like Sen was pretty much one of the big backbones in that net. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'll take him one or two seasons to get fully recalibrated to the professional goaltending level? Possibly. Uh, I'm not convinced Sen will make the NHL in, in a full-time capacity at all. Like he's, he's, There's still lots of questions around him. He, he's, he's a competent goalie. He's played decently well for Binghamton. Um, but he, he hasn't really stolen them a lot of games. Um, so, I mean, I'm not a goalie whisperer by any means. But, but <laughs> from, what I, from what I have seen and understand about the game, he's still got a bit of work to do um, to really prove he can be a consistent starter in the AHL, let alone, you know, a backup in the NHL. So he's got, he's got some work to do. And so we're going to move on to uh, pick 143, uh, the Holich Slovakia Mm -hmm. uh, native and Marian Studenich. Uh, From what I remember in his draft year, he was with the Hamilton Bulldogs Uh, for a lot of people, uh, he comes from a very uh, hockey proud country, uh, especially producing Zdeno Chara and, uh, if I'm correct, Miroslav Shatan. Uh, he's six foot one, 181 pounds. He's a left-handed shot. Uh, he seems to be one of those kids that you hope after what was it? His 2018-2019 AHL year, we got 28 points in 64 games. At this point, he's at 21 games. He's got six points. Uh, 
what is exactly you know the learning curve for him this year right now in Binghamton yeah so he, he's a really interesting player because when he turned pro at the beginning of last season for the first couple of weeks he was pacing the AHL so he was one of the top scorers in the entire league for the, like, the first couple of weeks of the season um, he, he just wouldn't stop scoring on a Binghamton team that was pretty bad um, and then basically Christmas hit and he just fell off a cliff um, and he's only scored like probably between 10 and 15 points in the last calendar year at this point. So I think for him, he had a really hot start. Um, and then the kind of the physical reality of the pro game really started to catch up to him because he's not necessarily the biggest guy, not necessarily the fastest skater. He was a pretty good junior player. Um, he just hasn't quite put it all together. So he had some real promise at the beginning of last season and has fallen off the cliff absolutely in the past calendar year. So he, he's he's kind of gone backwards over the past 12 months um, to the point where he's actually struggled to find playing time in Binghamton now that they've actually become, become good. Um, you know, the, the Binghamton Devils invested in some good veterans. They have some more young talent. He's really become a bit lost in the mix. So he, he still has some potential. You know, he's only 21 years old, um, but he hasn't been moving in the right direction. And it seems like uh, going forward, the Devils will eventually reallocate the Binghamton team a little bit mm-hmm. uh, before the off season because there's always going to be like a player or two included in a trade, sure. and someone might be getting maybe five more minutes or ten more minutes of ice time yeah. uh, every other game. Yeah. We're going to go to uh, Penn State, where this young Finn, uh, Arnie Telvidia. Yeah. Uh, he obviously was the captain with Capo Caco, uh, the not one World Junior ago, but the second World Junior ago uh, in the last draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up falling to uh, round six in 2017, uh, which is pick 160. And he was, uh, let's see, he got a gold in the World Junior 20 and he got a silver in the world junior mm-hmm. 18 uh says from uh hockeyprospect.com in 2017 Telvidia plays an excellent two-way game he competes hard and really pushes uh the play no matter what zone he is in mm-hmm. uh, can you touch on that yeah i think that's that's pretty accurate the the way i pitch um Talvitia to to other people is that He's basically Blake Coleman <laughs> in college. Um, you know, he he's not necessarily the best skater, but he has that constant motor. He's always moving. Uh, he's a great four checker. He's played a mixture of center and wing for Penn State this season, uh, mostly on the second line. Just a really talented player. Um, as you mentioned, he captained the the Finnish team to a gold medal. He actually tore one of his knee ligaments during the gold medal game and finished it. Um, and he's come back from that injury this season and basically picked off where he left off because he had a fantastic start to his freshman year for Penn State. He went to the World Juniors, won gold, but had a season-ending injury. So we didn't get to see what a full season of Talvatia looked like in the NCAA. And so he started off the season basically as strong as he did last season. Um, he took some slight time off because he went back home for a family emergency, um, but he's back in Penn State now, and he's he hasn't slowed down. 
So he he's exactly that. He's a defensively responsible center slash winger. Um, he has a really great motor, really good instincts, and he he's just a, an incredibly hardworking player. So he reminds me a bit of that kind of Joey Anderson, Blake Coleman. He has that aspect to him, to his game. Not necessarily the flashiest offensive player, but at the same time, he's 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 a really well um, he's he's a very productive player for Penn State. I think he has 15 points in 18 games at least. Um, that was what he was at a couple weeks ago when I wrote an article, um, just checking in on him. So, yeah, he he's he's doing exactly what I hoped he would do this season. I was always going to say, like, no matter who I talk to, Devils fans don't always need the sexiest playing forward out there. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of fans grew up with the John Maddens mm-hmm. and the Jay Pandolfos. Yeah. Um, I believe, like, the way Blake Coleman's played, and if you can get the same consistency out of uh, Bla- uh, not just Blake Coleman, but Arnie Telvedia, yeah. uh, he can be like that Blake Coleman, Adam Henrique fan favorite that really plays with a lot of heart and soul and can shoot the puck on net and make it – make it really miserable for the opponents to play against. Yeah, yeah. The same fan base that has adopted and loved Adam Henrique and Blake Coleman will absolutely adopt Arnie Talvidia when he makes the team in a couple of years. He's still got some time. Um, I saw The Athletic was talking about the fact that, you know, the Devils might try to sign one of Arnie Talvidia or Tice Thompson as soon as this summer. I think Talvitio could probably use another season in college, but I wouldn't be disappointed to see him playing for Binghamton next season. I honestly think right after they make a few moves at the February trade deadline, I think like before I said, you know, when they reallocate the Binghamton roster, you'll eventually have a few open spots. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the, the young core of uh, devil's, uh, draftees are starting to filter in and then filter up mm-hmm. by the time death camp happens right after the draft. Yeah. Um, we're going to skip uh, Jockton Cheney because he obviously retired yep. Yep. and I didn't see that coming out of anywhere in the off season. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that now. So we're going to move on to the next guy uh, being uh, Yegor Zaitsev. Yeah. Who, who plays for Dynamo uh, Moskva, which is uh, in Russia for a lot of our listeners. Uh, seventh round, 205th overall in 2017. Uh, if I recall correctly, he played for uh, Team Russia. That's correct. Or he, yeah. And what do you think of him as a left-handed defenseman? I mean, he's only six foot tall, but he's 21 years of age, May 3rd of 98. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say about Zaitsev, and, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. Um, <laughs> stands out to me about his game as a prospect. Um, I'm not entirely sure he's ever going to come over. I'm not sure w- what role he would play on a potential, you know, Binghamton or, or New Jersey Devils team. Um, to me, he kind of falls flat as a prospect, not necessarily a great puck mover, I don't think his skating is, is all that strong. Um, to me, he's kind of a, a project pick in the seventh round that I, I don't feel that strongly about. 
I was going to say, usually in write-ups from the Devils and stuff like that, I usually don't get any info on or stuff like that. So we're going to move on to uh, the last pick in that draft class yeah. uh, in Matthew Hellickson, who plays for uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. So he plays for the Irish. Like uh, like Telvedia, he plays in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellickson is a defenseman, six feet tall, 183 pounds, Rogers, Minnesota native, mm-hmm. uh, currently 21. He's got a bronze medal from the World Juniors. And uh, let's see, he's got two-time NCAA Big Ten champion. Mm-hmm. So this kind of speaks a little bit of volume for him Yeah, as a defenseman. He's a great player. Um, he, he was a really great pick in the seventh round. His value has only increased since then. Um, I don't have a ton to say on top of what you've mentioned other than the fact that um, he's – progressed quite nicely as a player. I, I think there's a potential that the double sign him to an entry-level contract uh, this summer ahead of his senior year. Um, I'm not sure he really projects to make the NHL, but I think he's a little bit of a shot of, of kind of being a, an in-betweener in that sense of, uh, you know, I think yeah. he'll make a good pro, not necessarily a, a full-time NHLer. So, like, what I'm reading – from 2017, 2018, 2018, 2019, 1920, he played, okay, his first two full seasons at Notre Dame, 40 games played, uh, nine assists and 12 points in his first year, 12 assists and 16 points in his second full season. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, 26 games played. He has nine assists and 12 points already. Yep. This year, he's only a minus eight, but his first two seasons, he's a plus four and a plus five. Yeah. And it seems for the most of his career, he's a really good defensive defenseman in creating offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely has has both aspects to his game. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure I'm betting the farm on him making the NHL full-time, but he, he he's definitely a player. For sure, he's 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 a prospect, and and that's actually, you know, a, a pretty good accomplishment for for being drafted out of the seventh round. I could see him being used in a package during the summer if there's another uh, key trade that needs to be made, mm-hmm. and if you're not exactly sure, he's going to be near long term uh, type of Devils player. I absolutely think you know whoever the full time devil's gm will be uh i see from the hockey offside marty bordeur will hire the right gm and obviously re- like realign the prospects mm-hmm. and make a list and make the right cuts and the right moves uh going forward for the 2020 draft mm-hmm. so we're in the 2018 uh this is the second of last shiro castron draft mm-hmm. um Ty Smith, I think we can all agree upon Ty Smith right now. He seems to be not too far off from making the team. And he's always had a really productive couple seasons with Hockey Canada and proven that he is a true winner. Uh, What do you think about his overall game as a defenseman now? Yeah, I I, I really like Ty Smith. 
and I was I was one of the people I was just incredibly disappointed that he didn't make the team this season. Um, yeah, I, me too. At the strongest um, training camp or preseason, I, I think the team really gave him a lot of chances to make it, and it just didn't work for whatever reason. Um, he's he's a legitimate prospect. He's he's the team's best prospect out in the NHL right now. Um, he has the chance to be, you know, a top three, four defenseman if things go well. Um, he's great at moving the puck. Doesn't necessarily force plays. He's the reigning CHL de- uh, defenseman of the year. I mean, there's there's lots to love about Ty Smith. I, I think if you were to pick apart, you know, one thing about his development other than just not making the team two years in a row, it's that he's kind of topped out offensively, so to speak. You know, his production this season isn't all that different from his production last season, despite the fact that he's a year older and more mature than the competition. Um, that's that's basically it, right? Like he he's he's won CHL Defenseman of the Year. He's won gold uh, with Team Canada. There's not a ton left for him to do. From what I've seen before in one preseason game, uh, in his first time uh, playing against. Winnipeg, or I seen him in warmups before when he skates with a puck, he has a lot of speed and he glides. And I, at first, when I saw him at first glance, I thought it was Taylor Hall for a minute, mm. but the way he speeds and he moves with his skating, he just looks so agile and makes it look so easy. And I think going forward with a kid like him, I can see him jump into the, NHL level and I'm very positive about him being a long-term devil yeah I am too I I think he has that potential I'm interested to see what happens next season because there's a bunch of um, defensemen coming into the season into the system um, graduating into pros he'll be one of them it's just a matter of what that actually looks like because as we mentioned a couple times before you know they're there, there's a lot of bodies to arrange both in, in Newark and in Binghamton. Um, so the exact deployment he's going to get or, or what exactly his first year as a pro looks like uh, still remains to be seen, but he, he's definitely, he definitely has potential to be a, a long, long-term devil for sure. And we are also talking about another defenseman. This one is from the QMJHL for the Sherbrooke Phoenix. Mm-hmm. This kid is, 20 years old now, um, January 6th of 2000, from uh, Mercier, uh, Quebec. Uh, six foot three, 203 pounds. Uh, this left handed shot defenseman in Xavier Bernard mm. uh, seems to be a player that can certainly be a big body who can play physical, but also can play offense a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us more about. Uh, Xavier and what we should expect going forward uh, for Sherbrooke and Charlottetown. Yeah, I, he's he's an interesting prospect. I think I think he kind of nailed it when he described him as a physical guy. He he's more of a physical shutdown defenseman from from my viewings. Um, I know Ian, my co-host, has has a few more thoughts on him, but his his kind of main. And, and most endearing attributes deal with that. Like he's, he's able to strip people off the puck, whether with his body or with his stick work, he's not necessarily going to make 
complicated plays at all in moving the puck up the ice or in the offensive zone, but he's, he's pretty efficient at stripping people of the puck. That's why he's being, um, that's why he's been traded a couple times in the QAMJHL um, to some pretty good teams. Uh, he, he plays a pretty effective role for them. Also, he played for Drummond Voltiger, as you pointed out. Uh, he played a couple of teams, mm-hmm. and the Charlottetown Islanders also moved him uh, mm-hmm. this season in the one of those recent trades. I think with a guy like him, it's important to keep a physical D-man like that, a stay-at-home guy who can not only uh, make the team either out of camp or go straight to Binghamton, Either way, it will benefit him near and long-term in his development uh, at the pro level. And I absolutely like the pick, and I think he will do very well, especially with Scotty Stevens possibly being a bench boss for the Devils because you have Marty Berdur, who was mentioned to be talking to a few alums and bringing a few Devils alums to be on the coaching staff possibly next season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, Joe, I'm actually running out of time, so I, I might have to go in a few minutes, but um, I think it would be great maybe to come back and, and finish out like the 2019 entry draft and, and talk a bit about 2020. Um, yeah. But just before I go, I, I'd love to mention just a few other things about some of the other 2018 draftees. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think – I think Akira Schmid is, is interesting, but not necessarily the, the best prospect to come out of this draft. Obviously, Ty Smith, I think, is, is really strong. But some of the, the later draft picks, specifically um, Igor Sharangovich and Mitchell Holscher, who we mentioned a bit more previously, um, are probably the two that have the, the largest chance of, of making the NHL. I think Sharangovich is probably a bit of a stretch at this point. He's, he's been pretty good for Binghamton. And he's played kind of up and down the lineup. Uh, I, I saw him mostly in like a middle six role, but um, you know, with the, the call-ups for like the Ben Streets and Michael McLeods, he has filled in as the first line center a few times and, and played pretty well. Um, Sharon Govich is a player that, that really needs to use his physicality a bit more. He has the body to, to do a bit more work in the corners and he just doesn't always do that. Um, but Mitchell Holscher, is so is a player that's really blossomed in his draft list two year. Um, you, you know, I think I mentioned off the top of the show, he's he's almost doubled his production from last season, or he's on pace to more than double his production from last season. Um, albeit on the CHL's best team, but Holscher is one of the reasons why the Ottawa 67s are such a strong team. He provides that really great 200 foot second line center. Um, that they really need. And he's, he's helping guys like Graham Clark before he was injured or, or, um, or Quinn, who's going to be a, a top 20 pick this season at the 2020 draft. Um, he's really helping them elevate their own games as well. So the, this draft, even though it's pretty short, you know, the Devils didn't have a ton of picks. I think there are, you know, potentially three interesting players there. Etu Pakula um, out of Finland. It's, it's kind of interesting. He's, he's a good shooter. He doesn't get a ton of playing time um, at the top level. So I think to really form a coherent opinion on him, we'd really need to see him in North America. I honestly think, well, right now he's currently on loan from for team uh, 
Mercedes, mm-hmm. and he plays for uh, Ilves in in the Liga, Finnish Elite League. Uh, for Liga, he has six goals, nine points in 26 games. As in 18 games for Kove, uh, he has 14 total points and nine assists. So he is a playmaker, sometimes sniper, depending on who he's with. Uh, before we wrap it up, uh, you can sum up the rest of uh, what we will talk about the 2019 and 2020 draft for mm-hmm. another episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell the viewers what uh, to expect in the next episode. Yeah, I, I think I think 2019 is where I, don't, I, I feel really good about it. The, the draft there is is full of interesting sometimes frustrating picks. Um, Some of the most kind of, it it feels like a draft where they finally slung for the fences, but in in some respects they didn't like, I I don't want to get too much into it, but a player like Nikita Okachuk, for example, I feel like is a fairly safe pick. You know, it's a stay at home defenseman, very physical in the second round. But as you get down into like rounds four through seven, the devils really swung for the fences with some, pretty talented small hit or miss wingers and forwards um so it's this really interesting pick that that to me showed a bit of a shift in thinking in multiple ways um but and it's it's also intriguing just because you know with with shiro being gone and and the future of the scouting staff kind of up in the air not really sure we'll get to see the continuation of whatever that shift in 2019 was so I, I think that'll be an interesting one to talk about. And of course, the 2020 draft is set to be pretty good. The Devils have two first round picks. And who knows, by the end of the season, they might have more than that. So there's the, lots to talk about. Yeah, before we uh, round it down, I do think with the potential trades of uh, Sammy Vodden and other players to be mm-hmm. mentioned, I think those picks as uh, second rounds or first rounds or whatever, Mm-hmm. the yield on return could be, I believe the Dells will have more ammunition than any other team going forward into that draft. Uh, either way, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed blessing, mm-hmm. but the Devils can flip that into something very good in the mm-hmm. near and long term, kind of like with 2019 where they had a, an array of picks. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you want to close out with some, uh, some thoughts uh, before we have to uh, bid everyone adieu. Yeah, yeah. I, I just appreciate you having me on the show. It, it's great to talk draft stuff because that's draft draft topics are, are so interesting to me because they're so full of potential. You know, like you look at the the NHL and and the standings today. The Devils have been pretty frustrating. You're not going downstairs, right? You want the lights on? You know, prospects are only. You know, it, it's easy to be positive about them. Of course, it's easy to overrate them. But I feel like there are some really interesting players in the double system that still have that potential, um, still have a bit of mystery around them. And, and I really enjoy that because um, it's it's just really satisfying to see, you know, the Jesper Bratz make, graduate and make an impact in the NHL. And I feel like from every draft from 2015 on, there are these players that either have or have the potential to to, to make that jump and, and make an impact. And, Maybe not everyone knows about them yet. And I'm excited just to share, you know, what little I know. And I'm glad that we both shared our views and our uh, 
ideas on these players and mm-hmm. hopefully the fan base uh anyone who's out there uh hashtag uh bell let's talk uh for uh mental health uh for this month and they contribute uh five cents Canadian, I believe to Mm -hmm. the cause. So keep doing that on Twitter or wherever you're at social media. Also check out Duncan and Ian on, uh, devils in the details. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can be found on what SoundCloud. Yeah. SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, basically everything Devils in the details. You'll see a a picture of ratio's face. And now that he's (laughs) fired, I think we might need to find a new logo. (laughs) You're going to have to do one with Fitzy or Brodor. Yeah, I think we have one of Jack Hughes, so we might just use that. But um, yeah, Dark Times <laughs> for the podcast, for sure. It's kind of like, uh, what's his name? Uh, in Lou, we trust that he had to right. re- rename it to uh, All About the Jersey, I think. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. I'm, I'm predating myself. So, uh, all right, people, thank you for listening in. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, first of two uh, episodes. Uh, episode two, we will schedule sometime near short term, so that way we can talk 2019 to 2020. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Peace out. Let's go Devils.